Okay, so if you spell 10 crowns, one zero space crowns, right? You, you, you write out it numerically. It would be the first game listed in everyone's Steam account. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Okay. So you understand what we had to deal with. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, Tom Chick and Bruce Garrick are interviewing Layla Johnson and myself about Old World, a 4X set in classical antiquity that we've been working on for the last few years. So, let me get this straight. The artist for... Avalon Hill's diplomacy, the cards in that game. The artist for yes. that is Brian Reynolds' uncle. Yes, that is that is a true statement. Man, yeah, that came out during so weird. the podcast. Yeah, they came out during that podcast. Interviewed me, and I was like literally kind of floored when he said that. I was just kind of like, like I felt my the world was spinning around me, where I was like. I actually kind of, I think I slowed it down and tried to get him to figure out, like, was this really a coincidence or is this kind of like, because he had this connection, maybe he met Bruce and that's how he got it at Microprose. But it sounds like it really is basically, it's basically a coincidence outside of the fact that they come from a family that has an interest in history and stuff like that, right? And games yeah. and, and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it's really pretty crazy. That's um, not so. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Uh, why on earth, after you make Civilization IV, uh, with, with Sid Meier, I mean, obviously, that was a landmark achievement for a lot of us who play strategy games. You make Civ IV, you do some other things for a while, and then you decide at a certain point, now I'm going to make Old World. It was called, like, a, I think, Ten Crowns at, at a certain point. But that strikes me as, um, it would be like if, if Herman Melville was retiring he's like you know i'm 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 done i'm just gonna but maybe before i retire i'm gonna write one more book about a guy who obsessively chases a whale i'm gonna i'm gonna do that again why on earth right. Soren, would you make old world when you've already made civ 4 wow how, how see metaphors here of like am i chasing my white whale or something like that <laughs> um. you may do with the metaphor what you will yes <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it's um i couldn't I mean, uh, there's a, a number of reasons why, like, I left Fraxis. Some, some, w w some good, perhaps, and some that are like, well, maybe I was a, I was a too hot headed for a hot headed twenty seven year old or whatever I was when I left. Um, Academy, but, sure. Right, but but basically, I I didn't have anything I didn't have anything left to give a four X. You know, they were starting to work on Civ five, and I knew I was just I would just be like an annoyance to John. <laughs> You know, I would just be like telling him like why this wouldn't work or why that wouldn't work or, or whatever. You know, I'd really kind of hit. I mean, I, I I had kind of checked out by the time the last expansion came out. Like I really wasn't even really involved with Beyond the Sword. Um, and uh, so every once in a while I get questions about stuff in Beyond the Sword and I just kind of like, you know, answer with a different, <laughs> change the subject. Yeah, sorry, can you explain um, how espionage works in Civ 4 for Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, my version of it was trying to minimize it, but at any rate, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I was just done with it for a while, but 
you know, it's still, you know, I mean, it's not just I worked on Civ 4, I worked on Civ 3. So it's like I had I had put my brain through a lot, you know, involving not just a 4X, but historical 4X. So it's almost like I couldn't keep thinking about it, right? And so I, you know, I just sort of slowly stockpiled ideas. And, you know, ultimately I needed like a really, a really good idea to, to like push me to get back into it. Um, I, I say that also this goes in parallel with kind of like company management because, uh, or I don't know, you know, business decisions basically, because um, back in 2010 or whatever, when I was no longer with Fraxis and I'm working at EA and it's like, well, maybe I'd like to start a game company, but uh, what's the right way to do it? And I, I kind of, the, the chance to make Offworld to some extent just kind of fell into my lap in that, you know, there was someone who was willing to fund it. And so it became, yeah, that, that, you know, it was pretty straightforward as a game I always really wanted to make. So I just sort of went for it. But I knew that if I wanted to, you know, if at some point I wanted to make a game that would really give our chance, our company a chance to kind of like take a step forward, um, financially, right? Like <laughs> make a game that I knew that there would be a lot of people ready to buy, like um, doing some sort of historical forex would be a good one. So I just needed a really good reason to make it. But I didn't, there was, I also didn't want to rush it, right? Like I wanted to make sure that we did it when the company was established and we could really get ourselves like the best deal possible, right? So that that's like the boring business reason to kind of do it when we did. But the the design reason was that, um, at some point, um, I, the, the orders idea came to me. Right. Um, and initially it, it really came from, uh, I've mentioned in, in a few places that it was inspired by actually Facebook games, uh, talking about Brian again, like he did that game Frontierville where he had these energy things, right. And like it limited how many actions you could take. It was literally Farmville just with this action system, you know, slapped on top of it. So, you know, after you did your 20 moves, you were done and you, you moved on with your day. Right. Um, and do that, that's that simple, like that simple twist, because it was applied to this other game. I was like, well, what if I just did that to Civ? Right. Um, mm-hmm. and that, mo- at that moment, like my brain kind of saw the, uh, I don't want to say saw the matrix, fast but like, forward. I just like everything. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Fast forward. Like I could just kind of see the tracks ahead of me. Like I could see everything roll out. Like if this works, you know, then every turn becomes more interesting. You got these really different trade-offs. You can play the game differently. Um, and what actually really interested me at the time was like multiplayer because I thought, okay, this could also be like a really cool way to do, to do multiplayer. Um, I had kind of like this idea that we'd have this game that you could play on the web uh, or on your mobile device or whatever, and that orders would actually be something that would come to you every like hour, right? Like you know those those <laughs> games like Neptune's Pride and those type of things, yeah. Right. Sure. And so my idea was like, okay, like every hour, wherever you get a dump of orders, and you know you could go in and move your units, and if like you don't, you know, if you miss if you miss some, because one of those, the issues with those type of games, if it's, if it's very turn-based, if you miss a couple turns, like the game goes with or without you, right? And if you miss a couple turns, you've literally missed moves. So my idea was just like, well, we'll just have the orders accumulate. And um, so if you miss some time, when you come back, you'll still have like just this giant stockpile of, of moves to, to make basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I did some prototyping surrounding that idea. Um, and at that point it was, it was much more like Civ. It was just this game about the whole world. It was just, purely focus on multiplayer. Um, and I discovered that 
orders were great, right? Like it really, it was really interesting, you know, having this, this super open field where you could do basically whatever you wanted to with your unit. The game wasn't, wasn't forcing you to move every unit every turn. And you were just kind of like moving across the land like molasses, right? Like you could really do some, some different things. Um, you know, the multiplayer side of it was kind of its own, you know, like those, those Neptune's Pride games are like conceptually really interesting, but like they're, they're super niche because they're just, they're not very, um, a lot of people have tried to fix this, but they're not player friendly, really. Like they want to be, but they're really like toxic, toxic to people's actual lives, right? (laughs) Because (laughs) people need to be able to step away from their games. Um, so, so at any rate, so eventually, is that the version? Is that the version that you and I tested, by the way? Uh, or not tested by me? <clears throat> I, yeah. I remember you visited a few years ago in in in, uh, in right. Portland, and you brought you. We sat down. It was is that the te- the the multiplayer you're talking about? Because I remember that pretty well. Um, right, and so we actually that, did like a land game. Yep, yep. So the the multiplayer focus did carry through in that. Um, the first version of the game was multiplayer, which is also the same way we made Civ 4. It's the same way we made Offworld. Like, I just think that's a great way to design a game because you can Mm -hmm. kind of like get a feel for it immediately. But at that point, it was much more of a, it was just a traditional, you know, we had our two computers and we played against each other. And, you know, it it wasn't, it wasn't just this like thing sitting on a server somewhere in the background. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I listen to you talk about it, I feel like (sighs) comparing it to like cooking, I feel like it's not like you're saying I perfected the recipe because that won't be you, but it's just optimizing some ingredients and in a way kind of making it a whole different recipe. I mean, you know, at, at the I, end of the I, day, I, the genre isn't really that much cooked. Right. <laughs> if we were to stick with the cuisine, you know, yep. comparison, there aren't a lot of competitions in that genre. And I feel like you kind of created your own thing, optimizing some mechanics that you wanted to optimize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely feel that that way too about it. I'm so glad you put it that way too, Layla, because what one of the things that uh, uh, strikes me as I'm playing Old World is how I relate it to other genres and activities. Like when I play something like like, like Civ Four, Gal Civ, or, or Age uh, Wonders, like I'm very aware I'm working a four X. But one of the things I admire about Old World is how I, I think it it. it forces me to reach for different kind of metaphors like lately used with, with cooking um and, and i think that's just a, a hallmark of, of of the design i the way i play a lot and the, one of the the metaphors i think of a lot is um a racing game in that i find myself playing to optimize and streamline my economy um so to, Layla, to hear you mention mentioning cooking uh that, that's that's perfect to me I, I can totally see how someone who would relate the process with old world to cooking yeah yeah well soren it's interesting though because I, I just having gone through you know reading stuff about uh that you've written about the game i didn't realize and at all until when i sat down with it that it was really old world because one of the things that uh, you commented on, and this would be interesting to talk about here, is how how much changed when you didn't have to have uh, things go from, you know, you're never going to have a phalanx attack a battleship, and you're never going to have a, some, you know, some tech or something that is uh, present in, you know, ancient times. 
be present in modern times and that you don't have to have, you know, a continuity of, of, of resources. Uh, but I didn't realize that <laughs> until I started playing old world. I'm like, okay, well, when do I get the jet fighters? And uh, it's like, no, it is old world. What, when did you make that decision? Cause I think that's a huge decision. Um, that was in there. Yeah. At some point we, you know, at some point I abandoned the idea of like, this was just going to be like the best, you know, when, when I, the thing I was talking about that was kind of like you play in the web or on your phone or whatever, like I was thinking of that as like, this is like, I'm going to make the best version, the best version of multiplayer sieve possible. That was mm -hmm. like the way I would describe the game. And I would say at some point I became aware of what was going on with Crusader Kings, right? Mm -hmm. um, and King of Grand Dragon Pass and the yeah. revival of XCOM and yeah. just like the interest of characters. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought that could be really interesting. And I, I, at this point, it's sort of a chicken and egg thing, right? I kind of don't remember exactly the order, but it's kind mm -hmm. of inevitable that if you, if you commit to real characters, then you... Um, this the sieve timeline just doesn't work, right? There's just it just doesn't make right. sense, right? Right. And the old world timeline also doesn't really make sense, but mm -hmm. like it makes sense enough <laughs> that no right. one really cares too much. Um, mm -hmm. But um, so, but basically, like once I started thinking about characters, that meant that like okay, it's going to have to have a tall, smaller time scale. But then, of course, at that point, I realized, oh, actually, that's great because everyone loves the first half of a Civ game. People love the first half of a Civ game anyway. Also, mm -hmm. hey, our art needs will be half as much, right? And ah, our, right. you know, <laughs> like it will cause, you know, save us a whole bunch of, you know, production yep. issues. Um, mm -hmm. Also, like air units have always been bad, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, like because you're, you're having to come up with these new mechanics when someone's already 20 hours into a game, which, you know, if you can pull that off, that's amazing, but that's not easy to pull off. So, right. um and you know, just generally speaking, Civ games take too long, and so we could, we could, then decide. Well, how long should the game actually be, right? And we could decide yeah. like what's, what you know, how long should the early game be? How long should the middle? How long should the late game be? As opposed to Civ, where it's just kind of like it just keeps going until, right. like you know, it just has to keep going so you get every portion of history comes up on the stage. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you said how long it has to be. It's going to be two hundred turns. Right. Right. <laughs> sitting up in the upper left game corner. But, uh, but I guess <clears throat> the other thing I could ask about this, and I, Tom and I were talking about this, is um, this is such a different, uh, this game could have gone a whole bunch of different ways, right? And one of the, one of the main thing you said about Crusader Kings, that's a, that's a paradox title, but what you didn't mention is that the paradox idea of this kind of surfing history where you have... Old, old World is still a very Civ game in the sense that you make all these decisions and they're clearly decisions that you make, right? You could have had a much more sort of, you know, the chaos of history, you know, everything's an accident idea where uh, stuff happens and you just have to deal with it, right? I mean, you have you, your, your, your succession rules, you get to set, right? Whereas historically, one of the things that, that uh, I think kept empires, you know, rising and then falling is that primogeniture wasn't really a very, um, uh, established, con wasn't an established concept. And so you had all these offspring who would fight each other and then somebody would become dominant. Maybe the, 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 um, the, uh, polity would, would be dominant for a period of time and then it would fall apart. And, and that's, that's not, I think for this kind of game, that would be very frustrating, um, yeah. But it is it is a model, and and Europa Universalis does use it in a in a way. 
Um, so yeah. that's that's something you you don't uh, you didn't take that path. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about that. But first, I need to go upstairs and talk to some naughty children. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. And I'm gonna do okay, that's great. Well, Layla, can can you talk to us while you're doing that, or or do you guys both have to go sure. up there? Um, no, no, I can talk to you definitely. Okay. Um, they're they're quiet, but they're still not sleeping, so they're just oh, kind of I talking. See. I don't know if you can hear them in the background. No, can't. I can't hear anything now. No. no. So. Uh, how big a kids are these? Yeah. How, yeah, how, um, how old sorry. are we talking? How old are children oh, are we so talking? The twins are ten. Uh huh. Um, they're like super geeks, and Sebastian, <laughs> our oldest, is thirteen. Oh my. That sounds yeah, like a real handful, year, Layla. They're they're really good kids. I'm I'm mm-hmm. kind of on the like the grateful side of, you know, mm-hmm. of, of things. They're they're really really good children. I don't know how somehow they they're this good. Uh, but they're kind of mm-hmm. not sleeping right now and they're either either Catherine is reading to Connor or they're writing mm-hmm. something together and we can Oh, really? Them. Well, that's awesome. They're yeah. doing it together. That's that's really neat. That, oh, but they're, they're so they're Steve's the twins. Oh, really? Oh, so yeah. they're being naughty together. Okay, well, that's I guess yeah. they get a little bit of credit for that. But they're, they're are they supposed to be sleeping now? Is that the story? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, nine? what is it? It's nine. Yeah, nine seventeen nine, your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. All right. I wonder, well, Lily, it might be that both of your twins are schemers. So I don't know. I think they are definitely <laughs> schemers. I feel the oldest is a judge. I judge really. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you say that? What what is judge like about your thirteen year old? So he feels he's managing them, and he's mm. wise, and he has you know like this, yeah, this managerial, um, older, wiser. Right. I know everything, right? And yeah, I don't know about you, Layla. Yeah, but when different. I was thirteen years old, I'm pretty sure I knew everything there was to know. I think as a thirteen year old, nobody could tell me anything I didn't already know. <laughs> <laughs> he grew oh. so much he went from you know like i don't know you if you have children or not or nephews and nieces but my kid grew five inches in one year and he went from like a baby to a teenager very quickly it's it's definitely like it's even more pronounced layla when they're not your kids and you don't see them every day uh but yeah like i have a friend of mine who who had a son who just like overnight the guy went from you know you know five five to this six foot three tall blonde teenage man it was it was weird yeah yeah now here's a question did did your oldest play old world oh yeah yeah Yeah, he was the first one to stream it really he was the first one to stream Uh old world when we went into early access and he wanted to be a youtuber (laughs) and you know it was just it just started like covid just started Mm-hmm. And we we feel with them like you know we're 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 playing IT for three kids, which was very hard. While also just kind of making sure we're launching the game. Um, and uh, Sebastian wanted to be a YouTuber, and we're like, you know what? Just go ahead, stream Old World. He was not <laughs> the first streamer when we kind of gave you know keys to streamers, and yeah. so he was one of the streamers, early streamers, okay. and then. We kept that video and we gave it to him to, so he could put it on his YouTube video. And a few weeks ago, he came back to us with, I deleted everything from my YouTube channel. And Soren and I, since then, have been looking for that video. And we're crying. <laughs> he, called, he called Babylon. 
we have like a good memory of it. He's calling. He's like, "Oh, I think I'm the king of baby lawn," and we both. Oh, so cute! It was kind of nice. Well, why did he uh, delete everything off of YouTube? Is he like breaking up with YouTube, or what? What was that? He wants to honestly, like all kids want to be YouTubers or influencers. They're learning so much from YouTube. Um, I mean, of course, we have parental, you know, codes, right. and we keep, you know, close watch on our kids. And uh, we are very grateful for the internet. Sometimes, like my my second boys, Connor, um, brings these wonderful stories to us about like the planets and for, for fun, he chooses to go watch YouTube videos about science. Uh So, um, and then he has this show in which this famous YouTuber does nothing but talk about theories and, you know, scientific theories and uh, theories and physics theories. And so Connor is very into these things. But I, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I, I think he no longer wants to be a YouTuber. I mean, that, the I don't, I'm not, I'm not his parent, do. but that sounds like good news. <laughs> like Maybe he's thinking of something more practical. Yeah, I think we kind of turned them off of some things. Like we, we are no longer exciting because we make video games. We were exciting uh, four or five years ago. But video games is the boring backup. No, safe I job think we embarrass them safe. now um, because we don't make Roblox. No, we well, didn't yeah. make Fortnite. Uh, if they tell uh, my friends, my parents made. We're yeah. like we're like a disappointment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like the wrong video yeah. games. Roblox. Yeah, that's I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. should have been in, yeah. up in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are they are they tucked in now? Uh, no, sorry. Well, we'll see. But, uh, we'll see. Okay. It should be, should be <laughs> to be determined. It's the second attempt. It's the second. It's attempt. the second yeah. attempt. Uh, Third okay. attempt, right. things things gets really serious. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where escalate. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so so we were talking about so so I just said that. Um, there are other ways that yeah. that uh, old world could have gone. So talk about that. Yeah. So um, so yeah. You know, like I saw. So I saw the success of Crusader Kings, which was really interesting because it was one of those moments where you see something that's truly, you know, truly new that people are engaging with. And you know, word was honestly like sucking players away from Civ. I mean, the Civ series hmm. kept growing, but a lot of that is, I think, has to do with the general growth of Steam. But there's a lot of people who kind of say they've kind of like graduated from Civ, if that makes sense, to the Paradox hmm. games. Okay. Um, which is actually, to me, a bit of an odd way to put it because they're very, um, they're very different type of games. Um, I would say that the, the Paradox makes simulations, really, not games. Um, and that's why it's kind of hard. It was, it was a struggle for me to figure out how to get characters into Old World um, because it, to some extent... Crusader Kings was like kind of this weird secret sauce thing that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, no, sorry, because I really want to dig into this because this to me is crucial to what makes old world unique is how you folded in this personal level. Uh, right. and a lot of what I sort of struggle with articulating and think about as I'm playing old world is why do I like old world as much as I do, but I've bounced off of crusader Kings more often recently. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of that is you, you do manage like, like you, there are three layers in, in, um, old world that are, they're discreet, but related. And there's the geopolitical, the family, and then the personal layer with characters. Sure. Um, yep. and, you know, I, I definitely want, like, can you trace back 
the use of characters in strategy games. Um, sure. So we can talk about how go, you made it back, work in Old World. Go back to when you convinced me to play for the first time Crusader Kings, and I was kind of like absorbed with a sense of overwhelm. Like right. I was yep. overwhelmed <laughs> with with uh, yeah, with all the characters yeah. and and just just this sort of aimlessness of like, what am I supposed to do? Yep. Right. Like, and I'm, I'm like, well, you just start to wait for stuff to happen, mm-hmm. and like that's just kind of a weird thing to say, right? Um, and um, uh, so, you know, it's like, I, I saw the success of success of Crusader Kings, but I, you know, I liked the game. I respected the game, but I wouldn't say I, I ever really loved Crusader Kings because it's to some extent, it's not my type of game because yeah, you just sort of play it and there's so many characters. And, and the thing that always kind of overwhelmed me was the sense of what should I be doing? Right. Am I, you know, am I not doing something that I should be doing? Right. Like, because it kind of runs in this real time mode and there's just kind of like things that happen. Like I've never really, I I was like, I was never really aware of what decisions I was passing up. And then obviously just the overwhelming number of characters meant there's no, there's no way you can really um, expect to like be able to look at all the people in your realm. Right. And have some sort of thoughts about them because it's like, it's almost like a fractal. You can keep, (laughs) you can keep diving into it. There's always more and more people. Um, So yeah, when I when I first started adding, adding characters to Old World, I really was, and it was it was kind of enthralling in a way because this was one of the first times. Like when I started making Old World, I was like, okay, let's put down tiles, and we're gonna have cities, and we're gonna have improvements, we're gonna have units, and like I, I, you know, to some extent, I can like write this stuff in my sleep, right? Like I've done it enough times, and so it just kind of you know rolled up. But when it's time to add characters, I'm like, well, I have, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? It was like I was. My first, it, it was like, it was like my first year at Fraxis or something right again, right? Like I didn't, I had no idea how to start, no idea how to make people care about the characters and like how they and should. And what precedents were think. there in other designs that you could draw from as well? Like where had you seen he, this done before, if at all? He, right. Um, I mean, there's lots of tactical games, but those, it's very easy to see the connection, right? Like you play XCOM, it's like, well, your character is... Right the person you move around, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with these different abstraction le- levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, really Crusader Kings was the one to consider. And you um, mentioned King it, of Dragon Pass too, I think in there. Yes, right. So that, I mean, that's an interesting one too, but I cannot have, I can have the same issue with King of Dragon Pass. That, that one is more the issue is you get all these events, you get all these choices, but the game tells you nothing about like what, right. the, what the consequences yes, of your choices yeah, are. Yeah. So it takes a certain type of player to really get into that. And it has. And you say your design thing is, you're just, one of, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's important. One of your designed like mantras is transparency, which yes. King of Dragon Pass does not have. It is, it's a very opaque game, right? And yeah. it's, it's you know, these are different ice cream flavors, right? Like, it's just it's just important to know, like, to not have a game that's schizophrenic. Right. We're going to make a game that's transparent. So we need to try to make that work as much as we can at all levels. But right? also not predictable. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the tricky part. And the, the other really thing issue I had with Crusader Kings is people didn't seem to care whether they win or lost, lost the game. Right. Like they're just, they're just playing the game and they're telling these stories and you know, it just, that's, was just very alien to me. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, I really struggled in old world of like how to, how to tie it up, like how to, how to win because it, it was like, is this the new world? Like players don't really care about winning or losing a game anymore. Um, but it's more like, that's just Crusader Kings is a different game. So I can only, 
it, the simulation aspect of Crusader Kings means it's for not necessarily a different type of player, but it's for a different type of experience. So I could only take so much from Crusader Kings. So initially, with Old World, I had way more characters than the game has now. Every family had its own family tree. There was like the royal family mm-hmm. tree, and then your your champions would have their own family tree, and your landowners would have their family tree, and the clerics mm-hmm. would have their family tree, and you'd like kind of swap between them. And, you know, they would, you know, the, the number of characters would explode. But over time, you realize, like, you just never, there's no reason for you really to look at these other families. There's just too many characters, right? Well, we reduced the amount of noise and randomness. Um, for example, when we're, so I started writing the characters. So we went back to the, the first characters of the nations, the first leaders, and we started building their actual families. We dug into history and we tried to recreate their families for them. And we noticed so many of them had very dysfunctional families. And sadly, I'm going to say it, I'm not very proud of it. <laughs> it kind of very much works in in, in, the, in the drama that you want, essentially, when you're starting a game from, from a story perspective. So, and then we tried to write a story off of what we already have. So we know, we know that Alexander at age 13 kind of had a fight with his dad, Philip II. Um, so we start we start the player with stories that actually happened, with a family drama that is there. And we talk about Olympias being close to Alexander. So now we can add memories. We can add events that are very believable because there's this type of family relationship. So Olympias and, and Alexander are close, so they can plot against Philip. And then um, Alexander alone can plot against Philip. And then we have tribes like everyone wanted to kill Philip, by the way, not just his lover. It was just his wife, his son, his lover, his cousin, all of Athens, probably all of Persia. Everyone wanted to kill Philip. So it was kind of easy to plot against him. And uh, we start adding stories off of the family drama that we have. And we try not to kind of go off by saying, okay, now the Egyptians came in and wanted to kill. Like we just kind of try to stay authentic to the original story and build off of it. And even with resources, like we kept it to the, like if you have grapes in your kingdom and you start making wine, we write an event about making wine. And then we add an event about finding this witch who makes spiced wine. And then we have an event with poisoned wine. And so just slowly kind of building off of something that feels very organic to the player. We didn't know that we're going to create a monster from, you know, like from the narrative um uh, event system. It became a huge monster in, in the game, but it kind of also felt very organic. Anytime we added a, a writer to uh, design the game narratively, the writer was uh, equipped with a system that they can just add to from any event they want. They can just add to it and it felt organic and you yeah. know kept growing like that. Explain the yeah. use of the word monster. <laughs> the monster, the event system? Yeah. I was, so, I was, I didn't, I, as soon as you said that, you know, it, it, you didn't know it was going to become a monster. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, you just kind of start organically. I, I came in as a volunteer writer because we were very unsuccessful in hiring a writer. Uh, we wanted to work with a series of them. We offered them a job. Um, one of them being uh, Meg Giant, the writer of 80 Days. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, no, she's working on other things. And by that point, we probably asked five people to work with us. And they said, no. And I was like, you know what? I I can just start writing so we can have something. So, and I was volunteering 
and we started writing and adding traits and now I wanted to add a relationship and Soren was very very patient I remember taking a road trip across country with Soren writing events on index cards mm-hmm. do you remember that yeah. trip mm-hmm. um, and they are color coded because some of them are a chain like an event chain so they're linked to different ones. Like and, one might replay out like the potential way of mm-hmm. the Trojan War could have gone. Right. And I'd mm-hmm. number them and there was like this whole visual system. And then when I was driving, Soren would uh, have his computer and would type in all of the events into the system and code around it. So he'd write mm-hmm. the code for it. Do you remember yeah. that trip? Yeah, we, we went from East Coast to West Coast and back. Yeah, you'd be like, can, can we do this? And I'd be like, well, we can't do that right now. But if I change this, I can. That was the process of the event system is like, you know, the Layla and then eventually the other writers who came on board, they, you know, they would ask for things that the system couldn't do. And then I would go back and I would expand the system. And, yeah. you know, we kind of complete. With some convincing. Right. <laughs> yeah. But see, this is what we can do if you do this. Right. Right. Yeah. So the thing about characters is that, you know, like I, I, I had to learn like, okay, it's not really a simulation. I need to pare down the number of characters, have fewer characters and have their relationships to you matter more. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I family now just has a few characters, but beyond that, we added things like the family heads and the religion heads and that you'd have like four characters in your succession who all would kind of contribute to your, your, you know, global values. Um, you'd have the the courtiers, right? And so each of these people would affect the game in different ways, right? So that you actually would care about what their opinion of you would be. Um, mm-hmm. And we knew families should be really important, right? So that was made it clear that, okay, and then we need to manifest the family in this, this single character. Um, it, ultimately, it's like I needed to figure out, okay, we need <laughs> we need to give a reason why you'd want to kill off or throw some character in jail. And family heads, you know, gave us, you know, a good a good a good reason for that. And we um, we wrote it in a way that kind of makes you feel connected to the like if I tell you now that I'm reading an event for you, I'm just making it up. But if I tell you like you, your heir or your daughter, you know, feels very suffocated. You know, her tutor forces her to believe in things she thinks don't exist. So you're mm-hmm. starting to kind of already empathize with your with your daughter. And you're like, yeah, I don't want her to learn with this tutor who's oppressive. But at the same time, you just kind of like need to look at what can happen if you say, okay, fire the tutor, hire another one, right? It's going to be costly. But at the same time, you're connecting to your child. And then another event says something like your daughter is becoming more independent and you kind of see it coming, right? At this point, mm-hmm. your daughter feeling frustrated and then she's feeling very independent. And then she comes back with this, with this Prince, perhaps or not. She wants to marry and you don't really like, but you know, if you say no, she's. So at this point, the player kind of feels connected to this to this kid who became a woman and kind of predicts what she's going to become in a way it feels organic. <laughs> so there's a stronger bond, there's a psychological bond, it's a realistic mm-hmm. bond. Another way to think about this is. Um, that the family tree is its own sort of like separate train system that you're, you're dealing with in the game, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the things that just makes forest games work, period, is just is, is the whole concept of random maps, right? It, it makes every game different. Every, you know, the, the different layout means you're going to play different games. That's why you play these games over and over again. Mm-hmm. But one of the big downsides, not downsides, but one of the issues with a random map is you can't change it as the game progresses, right? It just mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense, right? But a family tree 
changes how you know changes how you're going to be able to play the game what where your strengths are where your weaknesses are and okay. and it makes sense why that's an evolving and changing thing right um and actually i think that's something we could push far further and like we're starting mm-hmm. to do that like with the with the new uh, dlc we're going to have you know when we we launch on steam uh mm-hmm. we're going to let you start Greece with like four four different leaders, I think four or five different leaders. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, right now you can start with Philip, but uh, you know you'll, we'll also let you start with I, I forget who, like a, an older Alexander, a Pericles, mm-hmm. a couple other a couple other people. And obviously, having a different leader matters, but but also really matters is each of them have their own unique kind of family tree that you start with, right? Which kind of changes mm-hmm. they, for where your nation or can go. for the the game at, at large for the game itself, right? Okay. Like we're kind of just. Because these are people who are in the campaign, uh, sorry, or, yeah, are in the Greek campaign, but we're like, well, we might as well let you start, you know, with them in the in the main game as well. Because right now, I feel like, like as Layla mentioned before, when you guys were writing the, basically the the the, the opening premise for each leader, um, there's a there's a lot of. Uh, there's already a lot of an opening build in each leader. Like, you know, Dido is widowed. Um, right. Uh, yep. the, the Assyrian guy, Asher Bapanar, like he's got his older brother who hates him. <laughs> like they've all got these these pre-existing yep. family structures that are like an opening build. So it yep. sounds like you guys are offering more of those. Yeah, that's a that's a direction we think is, is worth worth going in, right? Because that mm-hmm. you know that we already have randomized leaders, but it doesn't really randomize a family tree, which is like really there's a lot of potential for drama. Yeah, there. you start you start with a scenario. It's kind of like the most um, stable beginnings because things are gonna change. Like we can only control the beginning. We start you off with what we believed uh, is the closest thing to history back then. And hours and probably probably hundreds of hours went into researching the bios and kind of trying to write a very believable character and relationship and a set of memories that kind of equipped the player to start with something, but at the same time, not jeopardizing the multitude of scenarios that can be taken from that beginning, that you can just mm-hmm. kind of take it any way you like. Now, at this point, because I think a lot of what, what we're, we're talking about now, you might also apply to something like Crusader Kings 2. Uh, I want to talk about what we can say about Old World's use of characters that is not true of Crusader Kings 2, like what it does uniquely with its characters. And one of the things that strikes me is the role of an individual in Old World is arguably way more powerful than any uh, military unit in the game. Like, you, you guys right. have taken a geopolitical ga- a game that plays at 4X, it plays at the level of cities and nations and, you know, entire continents, and you have to elevate the smallest imaginable playing piece to supreme power without breaking your game. It's uh, not very Marxist. <laughs> right, right. You know, basically, regardless of the will of the people, I mean, this is very much a story of history as determined by powerful individuals. You know, whether that's accurate or not, yeah. that's like the, the, the fantasy that you've decided to convey with Old World. Um, so, and, yep. and I just feel that you've done it. So, I'm sorry, I keep cutting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, we. You know, there's kind of there's this back and forth during development of like how important characters would need to be. And, you know, when we started off, they definitely weren't important enough. It just was a question of, you know, how to find places, places for them. Right. Um, and I think 
I think the fact that a significant amount of your global yields comes from your characters was, was a really important turning point. Like, and that's something too uh, early I to bring on. up. Like, I, I think a lot of people who play, like it's not immediately clear when you first start playing, for instance, that half of your income, you know, half of the science you're getting comes from individuals instead of cities. Um, right. And that, that's unique to old world, I feel. I think it happened organically, Soren. Right. When we first started... That wasn't the initial plan. But then we slowly started adding things that a character can do, relationships right. and traits. And, and being governors yeah. and being generals, mm-hmm. adding the council members. Um, you know, it was just this constant thing of like, I still don't feel like the characters matter enough. Okay. You know, generals, I'm sure, was the first one because it was just like so obvious. Um, I feel like the characters grew on you slowly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that helps is uh, the archetypes. And this, this may be... Um, Maybe sounds a little paradoxical, not to think upon, but like the um, to some extent, the, the archetypes narrow what's possible because there's only ten of them. They have very strong effects, and they they aren't. Um, and it, it, it's you're meant to like remember them, right? Mm-hmm. Like okay, mm-hmm. like a tactician does this, and a hero general does this. Like you know, the hero leader general he can launch an offensive and can also as a you know can also heal out in the wilderness, right? And because the thing is, you could do the game where it's just like, well, let's come up with 100 traits. And like, there's so much variety. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's actually important that you can keep it all in your head of like, oh, great. I got a scholar, put down a couple scholar governors and they're going to be able to give me this. And like, oh, I've got these schemers here. I'll be able to use them as an agent in this way, right? Like mm-hmm. that you're able to, you know, immediately see a character and understand what they're, what they're potentially good for. Um, right. Because they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're playing pieces and... Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that's with Crusader Kings, it's kind of like this, this giant soup of characters, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't, they've got all these different stats. And generally speaking, when you look for one, you're just sorting for whoever has the highest wisdom or charisma or whatever, right? Um, right. Where here, you know, the, the archetypes really focus you on this character could be good for this. And that's why I wanted, mm-hmm. what do I want to do with him? Well, the throughput it of the heroes in a way, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say it helps a little bit. I mean, I, I have to, this is a disclaimer. I, I've only played um, Crusader Kings for probably two to three hours. And well, Soren is watching, which was very, I think, very helpful uh, because he could pick up on things that were easy for me to understand and things that I was having difficulty with. And that kind of helped us a little bit with making things a little easier for, for old world by instinct. But it's easy, but it's, it's kind of good that I haven't played a lot of Crusader Kings because when we were deciding on how the, the narrative design is going to happen, there were things that came, you know, from a genuine, organic, non-gamey place that would make sense to most without overwhelming them. And um, I feel that that really helped like there was a moment where i said to sorn let's just add a a um, an icon that shows which events are the events that are based on history because i wanted to add i love history and i keep listening to historical uh, uh to to history podcasts and i read a lot of history books um so i'm i wanted to write things that actually happened in history in an event system like like a series of events that take place in the game but they actually happened in real life and i 
wanted the player to know that. So we added this icon that shows which events we're writing that are based on on, on things that happened in, in, in history. And Soren goes, oh, this happened in another game. <laughs> and I had no idea. I was like, really? It's like, yes, this happened in a different game. To me, it was a little bit of validation and a little bit of disappointment. Of course, I thought that I thought of it first. <laughs> Those are but, fun, by the way. I always do appreciate when that icon appears. I, I want to click on it and say, okay, what, what, what actual historical reality are they referencing with this? I do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and that, that actually gets me to another question I have, uh, which is, a, and this is probably it was a big can of worms for you guys during development. Um, there's a lot of ahistorical stuff in old world that makes it more player friendly. For instance, all the stuff with. Um, and again, I'm going to get confused. Agnatic, Enoch, <laughs> what, what's dudes only and what's chicks only? Agnatic well, we'll is just, dudes, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not and, going to be able to remember it either. So, okay, so, so basically, the <laughs> I, 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 I figured out it was by, by looking it up on the Crusader Kings wiki five years right. ago, and uh, I haven't yeah, thought about it much, much <laughs> right. since then. Um, but, but yeah, the, the fact that uh, in, in old world, the default setting is anybody can yes. inherit, you know, dudes or chicks can inherit um, uh, the throne, women can be generals, like all this stuff, yep. all of these unpleasant historical complications, you just kind of are like, nah, we're not going to mess with those. Uh, yep. But you did give us the option to play with those unpleasant historical complications. Um, right. So you, you're not necessarily taking a stance, but you're like encouraging people, don't worry about the historical realities of only dudes inheriting the throne. Here's how we think this game would be most fun. Um, yeah. Well, there, there was a strategic... Um, point to making both like making making it viable for both your male heirs and your female heirs and so imagine half of your children are unplayable yeah right like yeah. And it will make the game like very difficult oh. no, no, right and also imagine the option with the actual mortality rates too like you can jigger that that's yeah. got to also make the game crazy like you know where half of your offspring just die before they're five yeah yeah, I'm, not, I'm only going to mention this because I think I heard Soren mention it. But Soren, have you ever played a game called Empires of the Middle Ages? Uh, is that a board game or a video? Board game, game yeah, yeah, it's a board game. Did, did you? Is that the one you showed to, showed to me? Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, maybe, maybe I showed it to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, I think that that's that's the kind of thing you get into where where there's a game where where basically you're at the mercy of you know you're you're playing along and everything's great and all of a sudden you get a a, a you you do you know a quality check for your your ruler and and it's you know he's just inept and yep. you you then become you know your, your position becomes becomes untenable not because of anything you use but that's that's kind of a historical reality right that 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 all of a sudden there was a there was a somebody who who be, became heir to the throne that was just not up to it and the kingdom fell apart they can't that doesn't work for a game and i think that that yeah just like layla said like what if what if you all of a sudden had all these characters that didn't do you any good and yeah so that just doesn't work although tom did point out to me today that that's a that's a nice um uh, uh difficulty uh ramp you can if, if you know if you think it's too easy just go ahead and make all these changes <laughs> yeah, like as, as Layla mentioned, like it's, you know, it, it, it kind of dovetails with what I said, of like we want the character, we want fewer characters, but we want them to be all more impactful, right? There and was, there were, there were also like other reasons for, for this call. You know, we, we are also 
I think, I hope we are kind developers. And what we wanted to do is um, offer a game that, um, I don't know, portrays what we believe in, but also more importantly, you know, responsibly. Like I think the responsibility that is on creators nowadays or developers or movie makers and storytellers mm-hmm. is high because it is it's kind of the not just for you to be kind, but also to be responsible because a lot of people who are playing these games see themselves in these games. We are literally asking them to interact with the game, to be in the player's shoes. So it is very very uh, easy for us to make a call in history and say okay well men and women are equal and this is how our history is going to be and it's not like we invented history in this place we were selective about it like it's not like women didn't rule women did a whole lot less all we had to do is reach further and grab these stories and pull them to the forefront so it would have been much harder if we had to reinvent the whole thing so we weren't reinventing we were very selective about how we're going to present to the player these options in the game and Mm -hmm. we went with the more responsible choice and then as as a side thing uh, you know, you get to not lose half of your offspring, uh, and it's very difficult from a playable perspective, from a playing perspective. Now we do have the option where you can just kind of go stick with what really history had to offer there, but this is just just an option that's there for people who prefer to play more like close to the you know historically adja- adjacent, more historically adjacent. Well, also like, like for someone to play to get a sense for how much it really sucked when you didn't have control over succession or when your children died so frequently, like just as a, a, a out of morbid curiosity, if, if you want to get more of a sense for how terrible uh, yeah. ancient times might have been, just flip on those switches to, to make the game more historical. Yeah, yeah it was way more yeah. violent. Things were way harder. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's an interesting throughput of, of characters. In, how about, sort of, have you played Massive Chalice? Uh, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that the, the idea of the families going, talk a little bit about the families, because that's, that's another, another thing that I think is very, uh, you know, different in how you have to manage these things. I was asking Tom the uh, other day, was like, uh, um, hey, can we have a, can we have a, uh, these, these families should have, we should have civil wars. Uh, I need to point out to me that they just started uh, spewing out enemy units, but that's a that's a different that's a different take on that's a, that's a character extension, but a different take on the forex than than uh, has been seen previously. Yeah, and would you would you identify Soren like is there a is there something that inspired the family system? Because uh, you know you talk about the archetypes with the characters. There's certainly right. your your nation choice at the higher level, but then there's that whole family system, which is again there's you're picking like a character class almost in there. There's that whole middle layer uh, that, that Bruce is referencing. Yeah. There. What what inspired so, that? Are there any precursors to that? Because it looks pretty unique to me. Sort of. Um... Oh, oh, I know the one I thought of. Uh, the populations okay. in Victoria, in, in, in the Paradox game Victoria, like I, right. I was like, that, that maybe like minorly reminds me a little bit of, of families. Yeah. Um, so I basically, I think it's just from watching a lot of Game of Thrones, right? Like, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that kind of what it comes down to, you know, like, you know, you kind of envision like, and, and I, I don't even necessarily think like I hit where I wanted 
where I wanted to, because I think it's, it's still just hard to pull off this idea of like these families are squabbling and fighting with each other. Um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to pull that off in a 4X because 4X still kind of, you kind of need this kind of like forward progress thing. Like you know, internal conflict is hard to, to, to make work. I, I think we've done a better job than, you know, most other 4X games, but, but at any rate, it, you know, you, you see something like Game of Thrones. It's like, okay, this 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 whole dynamic of like the king is only so powerful, and there's these different families, and they're good at different things, and they don't like each other, and they want they want more stuff. It's like, okay, that just that looks like some interesting material right there. Especially because, you know, one thing I felt like of the Civ games suffer from is like there's there's just not that much interesting happening inside of your own nation, right? Which is a big problem. <laughs> once you once you kind of develop a city, you're really just kind of like learning how to stack better bonuses on top of other better bonuses. You're not really usually dealing with all these different trade-offs of like, oh, the hunters want this and the clerics don't like this and, and so on and so forth. I, I, um, I, so I, but I can talk about a few influences. I'd say Al Centauri was probably an influence, you know, even though um, the kind of like the preferences are between sibs, they're very strong and flavorful, right? And so I, can, I think that kind of stood out to me. Um, it, it, this, is, this is another thing is that over time, um, uh, Civ powers have become more and more unique. That seems to be kind of like just the the way uh, game design is going. But if you remembered how we actually did it with Civ three and Civ four, we had these sort of like general categories that we gave to the Romans and the Babylonians and the Chinese or whatever. Like we're oh, like this one's like industrious. Oh, families for us. I didn't even yes. occur to me. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's <laughs> it's actually not that different, right? Like and and it the the advantage of it is we didn't have to design something completely custom for each one. We were just like, okay, let's make these 10 interesting families. And like with Civ 4, I think we shipped with like eight of them or something like that, right? And it was just like, okay, every nation gets two of them, right? But it'll be unique. No nation will get the same combination of two, two uh, I forget what we call them, traits or whatever, right? So the families are basically the same thing, right? Um, and then at some point we're like, oh, well, you know what also would be cool is, well, we basically, we had four families and it was just too many characters, right? Too many characters, too many families, it just didn't feel quite right. And so we had one of those like two birds with one stone moments where we're like, oh, what if we, what if we went down to three but you have to choose which three. So now they're they're more interesting. But you also have that that moment of you have to leave one behind. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll actually take a look at what you're choosing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'd love just the simple mechanics of knowing, and then to hear you put it that way, you're going to have to not choose one of these families. Like that's what I'm keenly aware of when I play Old World. Not what family am I picking first? It's okay, who's going to be last man out? Sorry, guys, right, which yes. one of you doesn't get to play this yep. game? Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of keenly aware of things that that uh, uh, you're keenly aware of things when you play Old World, let's talk about city sites. Uh, okay, sure. Because Why aren't there yeah. more? There's never yeah, that, more. I want there's never the nice first time. Yeah, the first time I played that, I was like, okay, so here's my city, and then I ran around. And I was like, is this game just about having one city? I don't quite get that. I mean, you know, in the first ten minutes of playing, I haven't obviously yeah. figured it out. But, but yeah, just talk about that. I think there's that's a, that's a clear, um, a clear design choice. One of the most important design choices in the game, I think. And then truly, you, there must have been a time where it wasn't that way, right, Soren? I don't think so. I think that was ah. in, that was in it way back before the version that even that Bruce saw, like the one that was like kind of like you know, playing your browser type thing. Like that was, that was always there. And that was because um, this really goes back quite a ways, right? Like dealing with uh, working on Civ 3 and Civ 4, 
meant you're as a Civ designer, you're always dealing with this problem called ICS, which stands for Infinite City Sleaze, um, which is that if you're able to found cities anywhere, people will found cities everywhere, right? Like you'll you'll basically one of the one of the main goals in, in when you're founding cities cities in Civ is like how many cities can I squeeze into the maximum number of cities can I squeeze into the space, right? Um, because each city has just a bunch of like base bonuses that it gets, right? So more cities, generally speaking, are better. And each city is, is, can produce things. Um, and it's just been this intractable problem that we've always had to deal with, right? That we don't and want to do it too to... by punishing the player with things like pollution or corruption yes. or, or some arbitrary exactly. way of saying, nope, don't make that many cities. Yeah. yeah, like Civ Five did global unhappiness, right? You know, Civ Four we had like maintenance. Um, yeah, like you always have to, to come up with these basically b- bad mechanics. You know, just the like mechanics that aren't really p- enjoyable, just to prevent players from doing this thing that you don't want them to do, right? right? Like otherwise, you really wouldn't have these mechanics. So, um, and the thing is, city sites actually are not at all even even though in a Civ framework they seem new they're really not at all new at all in a forex because every space game has city sites right <laughs> right they're just called planets right um and you know maybe they have too many planets but that's up to them like when they are generating the world right like you know um, the original master of orion like is actually a very is, is the, the map is not that big there's really only a few you know like a there's not that many planets and it really affects the, how fast that game goes, right? Um, and beyond that, even games like uh, like Endless Legends and, and Humankind that have uh, territories, like that's basically the same thing as the city sites, right? Um, and uh, way back early on in Civ 3, we actually messed around with territories um, uh, for, for like a few weeks. Um, and we kind of like, and we kind of like created these, these, regions on the map and then like we would merge three or four of them together so like they would look realistic but i never really liked it because it felt like we were we were like deciding for you what france should look like right um as opposed to letting that float naturally from how the game played so Mm -hmm. um yeah i I don't i don't remember the genesis but at some point i was just i just thought hey what if we just restrict you from you know did you you can only found a city here and then as the borders grow, that becomes your territory, right? So it, it's it's a result of the actions that you take. It feels much more organic, but we don't have we don't have to do all of these these unfortunate you know, like these we don't have to punish the player for founding too many cities. In fact, at, at this point now, we just say like like go for it. Like this is very much what old world is. You want to conquer as much territory as possible. Like right. you don't you don't have to give the player mixed 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 uh, messages with that, right? Like just, just go for it. Like that's what the game's about. The, the cities uh, having fixed spots also that I really appreciate, Soren, is how much personality it gives the map early on. Sure. Uh, in a way that, you know, when you find a city site, that's like huge, it's important. Uh, you know, it suddenly mattered. That one patch of land suddenly matters. And there are other sure. ways that you do this with the map too. Like, I love what you guys do with mountain ranges and rivers. Um, yep. The procedural generation for your map scripts. I, I like I even will just sometimes like load up a map and then just look at the whole thing because I love looking at how the different map scripts create different kind of yep. play fields. And in addition to the city sites, the natural terrain is just a big part of that. Uh, and, and real quick, yeah. I love that you name mountain ranges and rivers because <laughs> what 
like I, the fact that I mean, when I play Civ and I come across a river or mountain range, that thing is going to be there for the next twenty hours while I'm playing this game. I'm definitely going to want to give it a name or refer to it somehow. Uh, yep. So I love that you guys have done that for us in advance. Yeah, at, at one point, um, people were. It's funny that you can make these just very simple changes that make the game feel much better for players. There's this one point where people felt like exploration was not interesting enough. Um, and the only change I made was that I made it so every time you discovered one of those those names, basically, <laughs> you get like this legitimacy bonus and you get to rename it. And as soon as I did that, everyone basic that I just never heard that again. <laughs> <laughs> like, <right. laughs> and it just, it just framed exploration differently. And I do remember, like I played seven seas, seven seas of gold way back when. Right. And I do remember like just finding like the source of the, of the Amazon river was like this, just this, this great moment. You know, it's just, even though it's just this very, very simple thing, it's very effective. Uh, the, 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 going back a little bit to the, the, the people, the, the, uh, having characters in the game. Uh, one of the things I love in a forex is a forex that's willing to have an overarching structure and not many of them do that because I think a lot of people play forexes like sandboxes. So when you have a game like colonization that Brian Reynolds made, the overarching structure is you build up your, your civilization and then you have to fight a revolution. Um, in in his Alpha Centauri, they did some DLC, which added um, these alien invading races that you would have to deal with. Uh, and you know, I'm thinking too of a, a game like um, Creative Assembly Shogun, where there's always going to be this this big civil war at the very end, a, a climactic battle. You guys don't have that overarching structure, but what you do have, and what I find a, a suitable replacement are the beats of the rulers dying and being replaced. Like it feels right. like whenever I'm playing old world, I'm aware of what kind of leader I'm playing almost more than what nation I'm playing. Um, right. So rather than having one overarching structure in those 200 turns, I feel like you're basically making me play through usually four different storylines that will have a birth and a death that will have their own complete beginning, middle and end. Um, is that an intentional thing? Oh yeah. We wanted, we wanted that to matter and it took a while really for it to feel that way. Right. A lot um, of balance. Yeah. Well, the balance too, yeah. like a lot of times, like that seems inconceivable, Soren, that you would make someone play a game, cultivate this character, get attached to the character, and then lose the character without discouraging the player. Like that, that seems to me kind of ballsy. Well, well, luckily it flows from the theme, right? Like, you know, it's, it's not really arbitrary because people, you know, if the king was suddenly 150 years old, that you know, like people would start to feel like something was not quite right. And um, they know going in too, I guess this guy's going to die yeah. eventually, so you're kind of proving yeah. it for it. yeah, 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 exactly. That that's it's it's a very great. It's very nice when the theme can give you really solid gameplay that you would normally want, but you you you'd have to figure out a way to to force it on the player, right? Like, what? How could Civ do this, right? How could Civ be like, okay, we're going to give you this special power for 40 turns, and then we're going to take it away from you and replace it with a different right. one, right? Like, right. I'm sure they could figure something out, but it wouldn't, it, it would be hard. It would be, it would be tricky. Um, and I should mention here, of course, the thing, you know, the original name of the game, right, was 10 Crowns, yeah. right? And what that meant was literally you were going to play 
10 rulers. Like that was, you had 10 lives, like, you know, Pac-Man or I whatever. thought that was related to the 10 victory conditions. <laughs> no. I, had, I, like I didn't even occur oh, to I'm not going to tell much. We mutinied. We mutinied at work. And I invited Soren to the conference room and we we're like, we need to talk to you. The name has got to change. Because there was a period of time. And this is this is just we're comfortable now to say this, but there was a period of time when Soren was still trying to make it ten crowns, and and because it was the, the the ten ruler idea didn't work. I had to give up on that because it was just too swingy, right? So right, right. So he was starting to kind of like we were like being like extremely frustrated with the fact that we are limited with the things we can create or develop because Soren is still convinced he can pull off. 10 crowns and we were really like like honestly was just like bounded by the name so um after listening to the team and we discussed things behind his back multiple times i invited him to the conference room and we and i said when we leave the conference room we have to have a different name for old world that's not gonna work anymore and uh yeah i wasn't i wasn't the wife i was the ceo it's like that's it <laughs> Make <laughs> executive decision. I'm yeah. very sorry. <laughs> this is going to happen. I, I held on to it for a long time because of a kind of a stupid business obsession I had with the name, yeah. which is that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. I'm remembering she's just, now. She's tired. She was got tired of hearing this. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell me. Okay. So if you spell 10 crowns, one zero space crowns, right? You, you, you write out it numerically. It would be the first game listed in everyone's Steam account. <laughs> Ah. Yeah. Okay. So you understand what we had to deal with. Yeah. You would even right? be like Aardvark Hunter. You did. Yes. <laughs> yep. Because everyone so, opens Steam and you see your A games. And I'm like, you know, we could be like, the top sorry, game, but always be design, in your mind. The design doesn't doesn't work yeah. anymore. And he's like, yeah. well, I'll figure it out. I'll and we're struggling. We're like really struggling. And I remember talking about this in parking lots near the bathrooms while making our coffee in the conference room behind his back anywhere texting about it everywhere we were just all like you know how are we gonna tell someone like how are we gonna tell soren you put him in a conference room and that's it we just all confront him yeah it's an intervention soren (laughs) we did you get some good advice Yes, we got got, yeah. got some good advice. Um, yeah. It was great to change the name. I'm really happy with Old World, so yeah. I'm glad they got pushed. But you can see yeah. you can see the tracks of this because the the reason there's ten ambitions is for a while I tried to call ambitions crowns. That was my way uh, of like retconning uh, the name, your, yeah. right? I thought and ten was crowns like, like was a, literally like an old old school money thing, like in the olden days oh, he used oh, crowns. Yep. yep, sure. <laughs> and we're trying to change the name of the company. And I cannot tell you what is the new name because I, I'm still waiting for the for the final decision from, from our lawyer. Um, and Soren goes, how about we call it Crown? And he actually went and looked for the name. I was like, that's an awesome. No, call it sort of Crown <laughs> Games. Soren, I, I, maybe the name, the name 10 Crown Games might be available. <laughs> 10 Crown Games? Oh, no. Someone else wants it. I'm just trolling Layla. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you were trolling. I think you were serious. Look, look, it makes sense. Like, no. <laughs> At this point, even if it's available, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about those 10, uh, not objectives, not, uh, go- uh, uh, not goals. Ambitions. What are they called? Ambitions. Ambitions. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Those mm-hmm. 10 ambitions uh, provide a kind of a skeletal framework, I think, 
um, maybe for a new player. Like, if you don't know what you want to do in this game, here are these objectives you can do. But for a veteran player, they also can be kind of like a distraction that maybe you can ignore. Um, but I've wondered, too, is part of the objective of these to ensure that the game can end in 200 turns? Like, like it seems yeah, like this it, is a it, way to circumvent that classic mopping up that, that most 4Xs yes. have. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you can, the, the, the alternative to, to a mopping up is just giving some sort of arbitrary thing, right? Like, you know, in Civ 4, the culture victory is you get three cities to legendary or whatever we called it and the game's over, right? You know, hooray, right? And so, you know, that's, that's fine. But I think the issue, the issue in general is if that's, if that's codified, it's always the same bar every game, mm-hmm. then it just, it totally warps the way you play those games. It just means that like, okay, this is the game, this game I'm going for culture victory. So every, every time I get a choice between guns, butter and culture or whatever, I will always choose culture. Right. right. Um, Cause that's where I'm going. And uh, so I didn't want that, but I did want to be able to draw some finish line that was not, painting the whole map all your color right um so i had to figure out some way to do this and it took it took a long time it, i think it all i think it all sort of makes sense now um but you know i was kind of wandering around for a long time the the, the just the the very at a very base level the idea the idea of ambitions is perhaps actually one of the most direct things is just taken directly from crusader kings um because you're you you choose certain ambitions like for your for your ruler um yeah. And uh, it's, it's a bit of an odd system in that game because some of them can be as simple as like, I want to have a child, right? Or, um, and, and other of them are more gamey, right? Um, so it's kind of a mishmash and it's, it's, not, it's, it's not, it's just one of the many, <laughs> one of the many systems that's running in that game. Um, and so what I liked is that I felt like giving your ruler an ambition could make it work the way... I, the thing that I've seen work actually in some mobile games, I don't know if you've played a lot of uh, sort of endless runners, like kind of like the Jetpack or Joyride games, or or basically sure. they all kind of do something like this, where yeah. you know they have you know basically you're, you're doing the same thing every game, right? You're just running as far as you can, um, and at some point, uh, you know, they kind of came up with the idea of like, oh, we need to give the player three missions, right? And it's usually to do something really kind of weird and arbitrary, right? Like you need a near miss with a missile, right? Or you need to brush your head against the roof for X thousand meters, right? Um, and it's it was actually it's actually a pretty ingenious idea because you know even if the base game itself is like fun, eventually you'll get tired of it, and this is like it forces you to like play the game differently. Um, and you know, it just seemed to me like I bet we could make that work in a forex game really well right um like this you know like you get a you know you get an ambition to um you know capture five gallic settlements or you know uh finish you know finish this wonder or um you know like you know acquire x number of of luxuries you know it's going to change the way you play the game than you would have normally and that's that's generally speaking always always a good thing um, and then at some point when I was, you know, trying to find a victory condition that would work, you know, it just seemed to me like if we, if we arrange these ambitions so that they each have what I call tiers, like if you look in the XML, basically like each, each ambition is given a, a, a number between like say three and five. Right. And if, it, if it's numbers are if it's between three and five, that means it'll always be either the third, fourth or fifth ambition you get. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how, that's why the ambitions get more and more difficult as you go through the game. And so I thought, well, this is, might be an interesting way to provide essentially a dynamic victory system that changes every game and also gives you that, you know, basically arbitrary finish line to, to avoid, to avoid the mop up phase. And it's hopefully, hopefully thematic. There's actually something we're working on right now with the writers a lot is that the initial ambition system, especially if you played the game, you know, a year ago when we came out, you know, on, you know, the initial release, the, the ambitions were very much gamey, you know, it was just like a, a pop-up comes in, you get these three choices, one's attached to each family. Um, and, you know, it, it's functional, but it's not very thematic, right? And so we've, we've mm -hmm. gone back and we've tried to integrate the ambition systems as much as possible into the event system. So, you know, you might you choose know, I've an actually ambition. noticed a, a big difference with that, sort. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I didn't know if it was just me because I always remembered you just got a list of, you know, yep. which of these three things. Basically, each one corresponded to one of your families. But now I've noticed some of them coming up in events, and I didn't remember that happening before. It just feels so much more, as, as Layla used this word before, it just feels so much more organic that way. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to represent what your leader wants to do, right? And, you know, in essence, in, in essence, like, what is victory? Well, it's like, you know, your dynasty does the thing that it wants to do, what, what is, its rulers want to accomplish, which is can often be very, very different depending upon who they are and what type of families they are and, and so on. Okay. So, um, yeah, like I think I think it's we the ideal. We're not there yet is that all the ambitions will come through the event system. Now, this, this ties into something else I want to uh, bring up. So the, when I first started playing, too, I remember seeing that ambition system and being a little confused because I couldn't see what the computer, what the AI player's ambitions were. So I had no idea how right. close were they to winning an ambition victory. And I like panicked. Yep. I'm like, oh my God, how do I find out this? But this yep. is part of the asymmetry that you've talked about with how to, how to, how, how to match an AI to a design. Um, yep. the, this is a strictly player-based system, these ambitions, yep. that the AI doesn't even interact with unless you tell it to be aware of how close you are to winning the game. Um, yep. So this ambition system, it feels like an expression of your philosophy about AI and asymmetry. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, how you've dealt with it in this game, and also, because I, I think I've been first party to seeing this, how it has evolved since the release on Epic, now up to the release on Steam. You know, you've had a year of post-release and the early access before that uh, to sort of bang on it and see how players are messing with the AI or, or whatnot. Um, so talk about the AI and what you've been doing with it in the last year. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, I actually, I, I need to go back all the way to like, you know, working on Civ 3 and Civ 4, you know, which is, you know, built around this assumption or even prejudice that when you're playing a 4X game, it needs to be symmetrical, right? That the AI, they're all essentially like, it's like this giant board game and they're doing the exact same things that you are, right? Um, and I don't think it's something that players demanded. It's just, it was just kind of like a default to, to do, right? Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of games have, you know, done, you know, I mean, there's a lot of games that are just fundamentally asymmetrical and you just don't think about it, right? You don't, you don't play Darkest Dungeon and think about like, what's the strategic long-term planning of the monsters that you face, right? Like that's just, it's just, that's not the type of game. Tower defense games are completely built around the concept that the, the AI is not actually AI. It's just 
pat there's just patterns that you you recognize right um and you know working on civ 3 and civ 4 i was keenly aware of the disadvantages of of the ai trying to do the exact same thing that the humans doing right like there's just some stuff that the ais can handle and there's other stuff that it just it just can't or or you know another way of putting this is we could perhaps figure out a way to make it handle the same thing the human is handling, but it's not necessarily clear if that's actually worthwhile development time, right? Um, in that, you know, I'd say like the most important thing to, to work on as like an AI developer for Forex game is that, you know, if you have a good tactical combat system, the way you move the units around tiles is, is interesting. It's really important that the AI is good at that. Right, because that's that's something you face the AI in directly. Right, they're doing the same thing as you are, um, and it, you know the game works because you understand the the AI is following the same rules you are. But how much does it really matter to you what you know internal ambition stuff is going on with the AI? Right, like I, you could imagine making the game in a way like okay, that is part of it, where you do see what ambitions the AI are are. Are focusing on and like maybe you change your 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 play a little bit to to accommodate for that, but but there's a good chance that that's not really going to be something that you're going to really focus on all that much on as a player. And the amount of effort we have to do to make that really work for the AI is kind of Herculean. And and I, you know like again like I I don't really see it having a big a big payoff, um, especially because if we don't get that right and um, you know, suddenly you just get a you lose screen. Like I've seen that in some of the other Civ games where the AI wins from this internal threshold that it crosses, where it's like, okay, now it's got 50, its religion is in 50% of the world cities or whatever the thing is, or it, it's got three legendary cities. And you're just suddenly, like you should never be surprised by a you just lost screen, right? Um, and so like, that's why I felt like, okay, it's, it's, I, it, you know, I'm going to do this thing where the AI is not going to have ambitions and we're going to try to find another way to make the game work like that. And interestingly enough, we really, for, for a while, I thought we could, you know, all these, you know, these kids today enjoying their Crusader Kings, right? Like I could, I could do the thing that those games do where no one really cares about winning or losing. And, you know, like the ambitions are just a way for, to wrap things up. Right. Um, and, but, you know, it, you know, we talked about this earlier about how, like, you know, we're making a game, not a simulation. Like, if you can't, if you can't actually lose to to the AI, like, the game just loses something. Like, it just doesn't. It, it, just some of the tension is is lost in, in a way that that you just don't feel that in Crusader Kings. Um, and so, for the ambition system to work, we did have to come up with some sort of alternative alternate way for the AI to win, um, and that came through the victory point system which really came from multiplayer because we were playing multiplayer early and we needed just this, you know, basic, simple way to determine who wins. Right. And especially then like with victory points, you can do the thing where you do have essentially an arbitrary cutoff, like victory points actually work pretty well in old world, right? Because you get them, Uh you get them from cities, you get them from higher culture cities, you get them from wonders, you get them from some technologies. Like there's these different places you can get, you can get victory points and you, you see it being the game, like, okay, here's this, there's this, goal to aim for right but the reason why that works see all this stuff is all mingled together the reason why this works is actually city sites um you can't really do victory points without some sort of city site system because if you um got victory points from cities well i mean 
you know, if you thought ICS was bad before, right, it's going to be like 10 times worse now as people try to cram the most cities onto the map to like hit the hit the arbitrary threshold. But because we already know at the beginning of the game, like, oh, okay, the, the map has this many city sites and there's this many wonders in the game, we can just kind of figure out, we can do some math and figure out like, okay, here's a good victory point target. So with that victory point target, we had a reason to be afraid that the AI might become too big. And then with the ambition, ambition system, we had this thematic you know, way to win the game that's going to change and keep things keep things new and different and fresh. Uh, something that's also very different from the other Civ games, and that I think probably throws some people for a loop when they first sit down to play Old World. Uh, at first glance, it looks very much like, oh yeah, this is a model that I know. There's there's food industry. There's my science. Yeah, I, I got that. I know how this works. But as you play, you realize that you guys have kind of shattered the conventional wisdom about this, this resource model. Food doesn't work like food normally works. Science does not work like science normally works. As a matter of fact, in old world, like it's another thing early on in old world, I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't built any libraries yet. How am I, right. how am I researching anything? Um, you guys basically broke all of the resources. I find that incredibly thrilling because when I look at it and I, I see food and I think, oh yeah, I know how food works. But then I realize, oh, but I don't know how it works in this game. And then I discover how it works and, and I've discovered there was some thought behind it and there was some kind of cool game design idea going on. So I feel like you broke and reassembled all of these familiar resources. I feel like you kind of worked with, with an economy you already know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's just talk a little bit about the economy of one of my favorite games, Offworld. <laughs> <laughs> Offworld Trading Company. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Layla's, Layla's right. Like the um, that the, dynamic you know, market. Yeah, yeah. We just finished Offworld, and you know, so it was very much in my mind. And you know, I you know, we're starting the game over. There's no reason why we have to do it the way all those games have before. And and also, I'd say that in a lot of, a lot of t- ways, I, I kind of can describe Old World a bit like a turn-based RTS, if that makes any sense to you, taking Age of Empires and turning it into a turn-based game. There is, there's a lot of that in Old World, where because the orders essentially are a way to abstract your attention, right? Like how much you can do at one time. I mean, obviously the, the analogy is going to, or whatever it is, is going to break down at, at some level. But like at, at, at some point it was, you know, I was kind of thinking of the game that way, especially in multiplayer. Um, and of course, RTSs work really well with resource models. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, we haven't had stockpiled resources in, um, in Civ games is there's this kind of this, this sense of like the game needs to always flow forward. And what happens if you run out of a resource, right? Mm. Or you don't, you don't start near enough food or enough wood or whatever. And of course, you know, Offworld kind of gave us the answer for that, right? Like the dynamic market. Mm. So yeah, it was really fi- uh, exciting to change that stuff. You also, um, with the, the, oh, go ahead. Uh, are you going to mention like the growth in the civics and the training? 
Um, well, yeah, the hammers, because that's another thing is you open it up, it's like, oh, yeah, there's hammers. I know what hammers do. And then, no, yep. it's not those kind of hammers. Different type of hammers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, so that comes to the, like, one of the, another high level goal, generally speaking, some designers have is you really want to encourage city specialization, right? Um, like, I know that was one of the big, big ideas behind, like, the district system in Civ 6, right? But there's, you know, that's something that, that you, know, you try to do a lot as well. But one of the, one of the main things that holds, holds it back is, is production is just the resource in Civ games, right? Like everything th- flows through production. Um, and if you if you split, you know, your city's output into like, you know, growth goes into settlers and workers and, you know, and your, your citizens, you know, civics goes into your specialists and projects and training goes into your units, then you, it's very easy to like, start developing these military cities versus these uh, specialist focus cities versus these settler pump cities, um, which you know, generally makes the game a little more, you know, more interesting, you know, ties in very closely with the families, right? Like all the families start off with some boost of one of these, one of these types of yields. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, the, there is this weird thing though, and I can't really explain how it works or why it works because we actually at one point turned it off and just the game suddenly just, was not as much fun, but the, the whole thing of like, okay, fine. You know, so you have civics, you have growth, you have training. What happens if you're not working on one of those things? Right. And growth is pretty obvious, right? Okay. It just goes into your citizens and you get more population. Okay. That's fine. But yeah, what happens to your civics and what happens to your training? What happens to your civics if you're building a military unit? Right. Like it seems weird for it just to disappear. And so at some point I was like, well, we should just maybe have this, this global pool of civics and this global pool of training. And when I originally did that, I didn't really even know what I would use it for, but I was pretty sure I'd be able to figure out a way, something, <laughs> something to do with it. Right. Um, and it was nice to have this thing to rely on anytime. It's like, okay, we want to add governors to cities or start this mission, you know, uh, you know, convert, you know, convert some people with religion or start a law or whatever. It's like, well, we've got this, this, this civics resource. So, you know, we can, we can, we can uh, use that. And then, you know, with force March and uh, promotions or whatever, you know, that we figured out we could tie that to training. Um, but the, the weird thing is that it, it it, it felt it, it just felt kind of strange that that like your you know your training sometimes goes into you know sometimes goes into your global pool and at one point we we turned that off and it, like as I said like it just it somehow the game just kind of fell apart it just it's just one it, sometimes you just hit kind of this 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 specific balance like usually we we say like there is there is no like sacred cow or magical magical number in a, in a game like you really shouldn't be afraid to change things around to get different feelings but somehow this is just one of the things that makes old world work that um you know there is there is this this flow of of these resources from your cities into these global stockpiles and sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down and it kind of all kind of comes out in the wash and, and there are even some like little loops in there that you can sort of learn to exploit, like buying orders with training, uh, for instance. Yep. Uh, like I've noticed too, like in how money is the basic common denominator. Like in a game, right. I, I've been playing some other 4Xs lately and I keep running into stuff like where I, oh, I, I need to build a wonder, but I've got to wait two turns to get 10 more stone. Then I can build the wonder. Yep. Um, like all of that frustration is circumvented here by the fact that everything can render down into money and vice versa. So, you yeah. know, uh, if I don't have enough stone, I can still build some wonder that takes 2,000 stone if I have enough money to buy it at the market price. 
Right. Um, yes, but of course, that's what makes training and civics so interesting, right? Because those are those are resources you can't buy, right? Right, right, right. Um, exactly. And, and if you're also you know, like, like building a lot of stuff that uses those, you're yep. you're not filling your national stockpile. So there's yep. this sense of watching when and where you're spending your training and your civics. Um, and, yeah. And when you get an offer from the AI for like one of these non-fungible resources for a fungible one, right. it makes it really an interesting comparison, right? It's like, here's a little bit of training, but you got to give me a lot of stone or something. And, you know, you're like, well, probably the stone's worth more. But on the other hand, I can't just make more training. This is the only way I can get more of it. Okay. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's not, you can't, it's not an apples to apples comparison, which is always, which is always good. It feels like the economy in old world is never, it is always situational. Like the, the economy, there's never, I, I can never say, Oh, always make sure you're training or always make sure you're building up hammers. Like it, it totally yes. depends on the situation. Um, yeah. which gets me well, to another that's, question that's, I have. Oh, yep. Yeah, I'd say that's a good shorthand, generally speaking, for my design philosophy, which is this isn't some great insight or anything. But but basically, if if I feel like if I ever see people writing strategy guides for my games and they say, OK, you should always do blank, like then, OK, I got to, you know, that's a problem, right? Like the whole right, right. point. I mean, you can see this through and through with Offworld. Like that game is just completely built around the idea that there is no set pattern, right? Because if there's a set pattern, you're going to end up you know, like depressing some resources price and someone else can take advantage of that. That's the whole point of that game. But that's that's yeah. just something that's, that's part of my philosophy in general. Uh, I did sit down at one point and was trying to draw a chart of like how okay. all of the resources <laughs> interact with each other. And I realized, yeah. I, why would I even bother? I'm sure you guys have some awesome chart there at Mohawk that does this. But it did make me wonder. So when the game came out, it didn't have like a normal manual. It had a tutorial. Right. You had the encyclopedia. It was tool tipped. Um, some people, my, myself included, just whined and complained to high heaven about that. And yeah, over the course heard of you. the, oh my God, I, and I, you guys were so patient with me. And I just, I, I'm just, I'm aware of how much of Soren's time I took up while I was learning the game. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, oh no, it's the other way around, really. Um, so we love your forum. I will say we for now, but essentially it was really Soren. And he sometimes comes back and talks about what discussions happened in the forum quarter to three. And uh, we discussed them. And then he said, Leila, I think you should make an account and join. It's very beneficial. So I did. And that's how you probably saw me. You, you saw me around. And I started you know, whenever I, I could just kind of go back and really like go through all the comments. I mean, it's a lot of comments sometimes because I, I wouldn't sign sign uh, sign into the account and kind of read them, um, you know, like all, like every day. But whenever I went back, I would go th and read through the whole thing. And I, I must say, I'm very grateful that the people there on your forums know what they're talking about and they gave us very valuable insights, feedback, things to consider that we've, we've considered. And one of them is the manual. Um, so no, thank you. Like, I, I mean it. Yeah, pretty much every time there was a, a question about something like, what does this mean? What does that mean? So on and so forth. You know, I would answer the question, but then I would also go into the game to be like, okay, we need to add a concept or we need to expand this link here to explain this. I mean, you know, it, it, 
I, I wish we kind of got all this stuff working ahead of time. Yeah. I will say that I kind of, I kind of thought manuals, I kind of thought manuals are over. We couldn't, honestly. Like even <laughs> even if we want to, we couldn't. Like we were really staffed to capacity, and the way the way things happen to create old world. I mean, you know, without going into like a lot of like background, but we lost the publisher when we were we were still ten crowns, and then we had to find a new publisher and get new financing to to hire the team that's going to create old world so when all this is happening we're really getting acquainted with a team with a lot of the new people we need a lot of art assets as i said we were trying to hire writers we were unsuccessful so i was trying to write as much as i can until we created created some type of a narrative design so there was a lot going on we were wearing lots of hats uh, simultaneously and um and we are also very close to the community. So one of the community uh, pillars is your forum. And of course, there are other communities that we have. One of them is Discord. So it was really just kind of connecting the dots. So when you said that, I went and looked for someone from the community who knows how to write a manual very well, well and approached him said, hey, do you want to come help us out? And he said, yes, he's very nice. And now he works with us. So yep. he's, he's at Mohawk. We have a lot of people but, who come from our community. Yep. And people who pick up the game on Steam, like the, the my experience when it was out on, on Epic, I don't think people on Steam will have anything like that because it does include the manual. I think the encyclopedia is a lot more thorough. Uh, I mean, the tooltips, I don't know if they change, but those were always awesome. Um, so I get my, my yeah. what, what I'm wondering here, Soren, tell me about the evolution of your opinion on how people can learn your game, because when we're talking about that resource system, um, right. like I, I really want, I want people who play this game to understand that resource system, and what's different about it, and how yeah. it, it, it might defy their expectations. So yeah, I, I remember once, yeah. I remember one specific post you had. You should, you you took a picture of the, the our description of the money yield in the encyclopedia, right. and it was literally just like. Money is what you buy things with, or something. <laughs> just, Cow house, just ridiculous. And, <laughs> and you know, part of it was like, I don't know, what do you, what do you write about money? You know, it's money. Like right, everyone right. knows what money is. But like, what you wanted is like an explanation of like, what's the role of money in the game? Like, right. what, what, what's this, the unique thing you can do with with money in the old world that makes it makes it important? Um, and you know, it just it was. I I, I think that um, I I mean, this is like a. A noble thing, but I kind of I, I wonder if like if Civ didn't exist. I mean, obviously, if Civ didn't exist, there'd be no old world. But if Civ didn't exist, I kind of feel like people would probably have grokked old world a little faster because sure. like half of yeah. the process of learning old world is kind of like unlearning how Civ works. Um, and just I want to tell yeah. you real quick, Soren, hold that thought because my first reaction I vividly remember when old world left early access. I didn't look at it during early access. I just wanted to wait, let you guys finish it. I remember playing 1.0 on Epic and emailing Bruce and a couple of other people. I'd spent maybe an hour, two hours with it. And I wrote something, I'm almost tempted to look it up, but I wrote something like, oh, he's just retreading civilization. This is really disappointing. Yeah. I never would have said that publicly because I knew that was just my impression after a couple of hours. Um, but so anyway, that that was certainly if I had never played Civilization, when I sat down, Old World would have blown my mind. But right. because I played Civilization, sitting down to Old World, I was super underwhelmed. And I blame Civilization, not Old World. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird problem. And then the other thing is like, we had been just at this, at, you know, when we came close to shipping at this point, I had been, you know, I played thousands of hours of old world and, you know, I played Civ six a little bit just to kind of see what it was like, but I was, I haven't really been touching a Civ game for a long, long time. So like I was like kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum and it was just, it was just hard to see how, how different it was and what were the, what are the things that are really unique about old world that were going to throw people for a loop. Um, so, you know, it, uh, <laughs> you know, we got there, but it was, it was a difficult process. I mean, this was, this was a really big game. It was, you know, it was a challenge to get, get everything in the right place. Um, and the other thing is there was still, there was a lot of stuff that was radically changing, you know, like in the months right before we, we shipped, you know, and that, which also, which makes doing tutorials really hard. I mean, that's another thing. We, we really didn't do a real tutorial until we shipped the game. Well, you know? we kind of wanted the design to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that that's always kind of, kind of difficult. But um, the fact that we kind of had this really extended release process, I think at, at the end of the day, I think we have a really, really good game now. It, feel, it feels like we've created a game <clears throat> and then released it on early access when, you know, generally it's like very close to, to it being done. But we had a, like almost a full year of playing the game, um, watching people play the game, listening to people who know about this genre, filtering through feedback, tweaking the game, and deciding what we're keeping, what we're not keeping, kind of like optimizing and balancing the game. So it feels like we've lived very well with Old World. Yep. Well, and this is also your, I, it, I mean, I don't know if it feels this way to you guys, but does this feel like the third time releasing the game? You know, once Early Access, once Epic, again on Steam, or is it just part of a, one long process for you? It feels like it's a, it's like a third launch, but it's also a a progression. Um, so when we went on early access, I think it was the time I was the most nervous. I don't know about you, but I was the mm, most nervous sure. when we went on early access. I don't think I was as nervous later on when we launched it on the Epic Game Store, because the first time people get to to play something that you're working on. Um, it, you're you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable place. Like you've you've worked on this. It took so much, and I don't want to say it took us more because there are a lot of developers out there who deal with lack of money and not sleeping. I mean, our our team is on anti crunch. We we never like they, we don't crunch our team. But Soren and I, I think we just worked like nonstop, especially with COVID and kids being at home and being IT people for three children who were two years younger. It was very difficult. So it, fe it felt like it was an emotional time. Uh, we were very nervous. So when, when people started liking the game and reacting well, and I think we were able to breathe within like a few days, we were, I think I was just super happy. I was very, very happy. I just couldn't stop watching people play our game. It felt really good. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that there's a there's like a, a thread, a recent thread on on quarter three is like debating the you know, the merits of, of early access, right? And it's you know, I think that the general tone is is negative, and uh, it's uh, it, it's kind of weird for me to see because like I just as a as a developer of these type of games, it's like it's such it's such a healthy way to do it. Um, I tend to agree with you. you know. It feels like it's not movies, like it's not you're offering something <clears throat> that the player is going to experience once, especially that they are part of the game 
So why not give them the exposure early on so they can be even more integrated and right. things that they enjoy are even more incorporated in the game? I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree, too, that early access, regardless of what you think of it, uh, has made Old World and our full trading company before it uh, a better game. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that is from the thing that's a little different maybe about the way we do uh, early access is um, that... It, to us, it's not at all like a business proposition type thing. We're not really worried about, uh, we never discount. No, I don't think we discounted the game during during our early access phase. I think we had something like at the very, very beginning because there was like a coupon thing over Epic. Anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we didn't, we didn't, do, we didn't do sales basically during our, our early access phase. And I don't remember what it was for Offworld. But basically, the, my, my point is, it's not just the sales. If you look at the way a lot of companies do early access, they do it what, around what are called themed updates where they make these kind of like big splashy updates every month or two all where right, they're right. dropping these big new features like, Hey, we've just added teleportation, you know, and whatever. And like, to me, it kind of makes my skin crawl, honestly, like, like that's just not the way to games actually get made. Right. And of course it's not it's the way they're probably development. Yeah. It's not probably the way they're making the game either. Right. Like right, they're, right. you know, their, their marketing team is figuring out a way to package these updates to, to, to go forward. But to me, game development is so hard. Like I just don't have the time or energy. I don't want to waste my time or energy on that stuff. Right. So with old world, we did the absolute opposite approach of that. Right. Like we updated the game every single week mm. for two years. Right. And <clears throat> there, you know, there were, there were no themed updates. It was just, Hey, here's, here's some more events and yeah. here's a couple of changes and here's, the UI does this a, better. Here's the update. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, if you want to... it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, tinkering. And, um, you know, if you want to be part of that process, great. But we're not, we're not doing this to try to, like, keep yeah. sucking in. We're not worried about our user well, numbers. also, like, if we ever wanted to try something that we were unsure of, we don't wait for a huge, big update and throw it on the player. We're just going to throw it in there and see if, if it's... Yep. That, yeah, like what, where is theory and where is actually playability? If it's something that people enjoy or not, then we can just remove it if it's, if it's not feasible. Yeah. And the other thing is if you, if you wait too long between updates, um, at that point, you, the, game, the, the game they're playing starts to become out of sync with the game you're developing. And at that point, like the feedback is kind of useless, right? Because you're hearing stuff about, you know, you know like, oh, slavery is too powerful. And it's like, well, I tweaked Slaver recently. Which version are they playing now? I don't even remember. You know, like it's, you know, you need them to be basically almost playing the same version of the game that you're developing. I must say, no. Well, I think it's easy to say that you guys, I was going to say that it's obvious that you guys are uh, better off not having a larger marketing department, but I, I cut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Knowing what I know today, I feel like <clears throat> perhaps one thing I change is. Um, maybe next time our early access time will be shorter. I feel like the game was ready. We're just too relaxed and just kind of... <laughs> we're too relaxed. Yeah, we're just too relaxed. I mean, depends, I don't know if you guys know this. Game. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but there's kind of a joke about, like, Mohawk early access games are better than most 1.0s. I mean, that's... <laughs> that you, you definitely have a reputation as not doing early access like like everyone else. So, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the community, though, because I know I said a little bit about the community a little bit ago, but... It is very important to highlight how much the community is a designer in our game. And it is very specific to Mohawk. Like I feel you said it, that um, Offworld Trading Company 
and it, it shaped off-world trading company and shaped old world. Um, this community did. And, and this community comes from off-world and some of the community come all the way back to civilization three and civilization yeah. four, correct? Like the Vel, the person we mentioned is doing the manual and he wrote a very well, like a well, a popular strategy game for Alpha Centauri. Right. That's how I first got to know him. The engineer who wrote the AI that is mm-hmm. now uh, nominated uh, uh, for, you know, the best best AI comes from Civilization as well. Civilization 3, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I first met him on the Apollo forums for Civ 3. Um, and we have people who wrote um, mods, who created mods for Civilization. And they, they, are, they created mods for Old World. And then we sucked them into Mohawk Games. And there is an engineer who comes from, old, from Awful Trading Company, uh, our company's community. So we have a lot of people from the community who are with us. And I think this is very specific to us. Um, when, when we look for feedback, we're filtering. It's not like we're trying to please everyone. And, but at the same time, our, our community is positive. And the feedback that you read in our Discord or on our forums, you know, talking about our games, resemble us like very much. If you go from one community that talks about old world to another community without being in both communities, you'd realize they're very close in the way they analyze things. So people know the strategy and we kind of roam in those circles and we draw from from, from those those communities, we draw inspiration and we take the feedback that resembles us and they kind of know which which feedback to give that also they know that this is this is really something, you know, that is that is feasible. This is something that we can do. So I cannot emphasize enough how much the community played a huge role in shaping our design ideas and making our games way better than we've imagined. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing I really love, which is if I could ever, whenever this happens, where like someone, see a, I see a random idea on Discord and, you know, it, it clicks. I'm just like, okay, that's that's good. That makes sense. Usually it's just not like... I need. I want this game to have you know lasers or whatever. It means that like oh you know the 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 traders would be more interesting if they had more schemer archetypes because of X Y and Z. And you know I'm like oh yes that 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 really makes sense. Whenever I see something like that, I, I usually implement it like immediately, and then it's usually in the game to two or three days later. And the person on Discord would be like oh they <laughs> they were listening to me. Like what happened? <laughs> like this was weird. <laughs> Uh, what is what is one what is the one thing that most surprised you about player reaction uh, after after the game was released to the wild? Oh, mine goes back like to the, awful. like something you didn't In see coming. What, uh, what what's something that surprised you? Right. Go ahead. It's a good question. I don't actually have a good ready answer for it because it's all it's been such a blur. What, what surprises <laughs> us? Sure. So make your wife I'd go say... first while you think of a good answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the better answer, and I promise you, he will have the better answer. But, um, but for me, it's always how, when players don't play the game the way we wanted, or w- the way we thought it's going to be played. Like they play it in a way where, like, whoa, like we didn't, we didn't think they're going to do that. Um, Can you think of an and, example, Layla? Like, what, what's an example of uh, someone like playing in a way that you didn't expect? So, in off-world trading company, and I play that a lot, like. Until today, I played a lot. So in Awful Trading Company, we had a black market. That's just an example. And in the black market, you have mutiny. And then you have uh, a, um, you can, ex- what is it called? The explosion. You can explode someone. What is it? Um, dynamite? Yeah, you can dynamite it. Um, but, but So anyway, so someone from the com- community 
would take the mutiny and put it on the off off world or any resource or anything really a mine and mutiny it and now it's making resources for him or for them and the off world is now working for them etc what we did not know is that you can actually mutiny the mutiny <laughs> which was brilliant oh. like yeah <laughs> So someone mutinies your your thing, you can mutiny it back. And it was like so f- phenomenal. And then we started realizing that when people uh, zap your your uh, building, like it's not working any, anymore. Um, well, like the, the, the amount of, of destruction and misuse of the black market kind of made us uh, aware of, uh, of certain balance ideas that we needed to... Uh, to take into consideration yeah. that was pretty pretty awesome in, in terms of design and expanding the design even with more strategy yeah kind of nice i can think of one little thing from from old world which has been was kind of interesting which was that um you don't see them very often but there are negative cognomens you know the cognomens are like you become the oh. architect or the invincible or whatever but you can actually become the the unready or the bloody or the bad or whatever if if you basically fail at some stuff, right? Because it's it's basically based off of a stat system, right? And if you lose more units than you kill or you lose a bunch of cities, you can get these negative cognomens, right? And in multiplayer, they start figuring out that the best time to attack someone is right when they're right when they have a new ruler. Because the new ruler comes on board and doesn't have this like strong these strong stats that give them a, like an established cognomen. Because once you and the once you start building legitimacy these... too, and, and some orders as well at that point, yeah. Yes, exactly. So if you go if you go to these negative cognomens, it's actually it's a major problem. Um, and uh, you know, but if a if a character's already had these big accomplishments, it's going to be hard. You, the, the way the system works is as long as you've hit some threshold like above like a level four or level five cognomen, you're not going to get a negative level four or negative five cognomen. It's always going to try to give you the positive one first. But if you don't have positive accomplishments, then the negative ones are going to start hitting you. And so players figure like, ah, I want to wait to attack right right after they get a new leader on the throne, attack them, and then suddenly now they're the you know they're you know uh, Alexander the Bloody. And they're going to start have negative legitimacy or lose legitimacy. They're going to have less orders, which is going to make it easier for me to like, you know, you know, basically keep the, keep the, the attack going. Um, and, you know, I didn't really thought about that as a, as a strategy, but, but like the great thing about it was, is it actually kind of worked. Like it makes sense. Like, like that would actually happen. People would attack other nations when there was a succession change because there is a sense right. that like, oh, they're they're having a moment of weakness now. Like there is this opportunity, right? You're not going to attack when when someone when the great is on the throne, but when the new is there, you might might want to do that. I realized when, you- when I used to play off world trading company used to sit behind me and watch me play, and then in the next update things changed. And then I started going and hiding and I won't allow Soren to sit behind me, which I think, you know, <laughs> back then I, you know, I, I, I didn't care. I worked in a different place. I wasn't making the game necessarily to, to the extent I was making old world. Um, but, um, but now I feel like it's kind of good if he watched me play, because I used to get annoyed because it felt like he's, he's like targeting the harassment in a way towards the way I play. <laughs> like I, I, I don't like to use my scout too much early on because I want to use my orders differently. And then Soren kind of kept 
trying to push me to use my scalp. And then in the next update, I realized it was kind of like I'm starting to pay a higher price if I don't use my scalp. So I always <laughs> hid my laptop from Soren. Uh, you can't game to make you play differently. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, we do. And I, we, we even... So we play Splendor. Uh, so daily, Soren and I daily play either a card game or a board game and it's accidentally it's not like we we have a plan or you know i you know this is what we want so we can become better developers i remember giving birth to my oldest son and we we're playing a card game in the in the hospital, in the hospital. so um what so we play splendor and each time you know like one of us wins and then we try to kind of study the other person's strategy and then we change the strategy but i'll never tell him what my strategy is because he tries to converse afterwards like hey what did you do there <laughs> i know what was your like, plan? i will never tell you like this will <laughs> never happen <laughs> <laughs> we played in a great game, by the way, this couple of days ago that I cannot remember. What is it called? The close Power to grid? the yeah, Power grid. It was pretty cool. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Power grid. Oh, so much math. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a lot of math, but it's it's very it's very it has a lot of overlaps with Offworld. So like I was it's, like, if you love Offworld, you probably write like the Power manual. Grid. It's really good. He didn't write the manual, and it's very hard. He, you know, and he explains the rules of something. Um, it's it becomes a little it's it's good he didn't write the manual because it took us a couple of turns to kind of yeah. start understanding what what the rules are and kind of we, we even did we manipulate the rules on this one or oh, manipulate the rules on splendor in the right. end yeah, yeah, yeah. power grid has this great resource market on the map that it's the only game i've seen that that does the thing that offworld does easily right whereas you pick up the, the resources you see the price getting higher Right, it's just a yeah. very, a very yeah. simple mapping, which is pretty hard to do in a board game. It's very easy to do in a video game. Yeah, yeah. it's that's a, that's an old one for sure. That's uh, I remember playing Power Grid many, many, many times. But gosh, that's got to be almost twenty years ago. Holy cow! Yeah. Friedman Friese, I think. Yeah. What else do we have? Do we can we cover? Uh, it's a free for all. Any, any, any stuff uh, you guys, well, we haven't know, mentioned? What, what have we gotten to? Hittites and the DLCs coming out. And... Um, yeah, yeah, the stuff that's coming out. So sure. I, because um, I know Bruce and I had a, a code to uh, look at a Steam version. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I don't, from what I've looked at, I mean, I know there's the new uh, Greek missions. Um, what is, is it? What are you guys adding for Steam? Is it just the new Greek campaign or... What's different on Steam? Um, so it's going to be an eighth civilization, and it's the Hittites. Um, and I believe. Wait, what? what whoa, game... is, this, is this announced, or is this the. Should I have known? Have you guys already announced this? We have not. Not, no. not yet, but I'm it's assuming not. the podcast is not going to come out this week, is it? No, it's going to be it's going to be announced the day the game goes up on Steam. Yeah. Oh so my god, I am gobsmacked that you guys are doing an eighth civilization. I can't. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> gathering my wits. I I honestly thought yeah. it was just a, wow, an eighth civilization. So I, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. So we we have an eighth civilization. We also have uh, a DLC uh, that is the Greek DLC, and uh, I think localization. Yeah, we're going to hit a bunch of, bunch of different languages. Can I just say something really silly? 
Yeah. I kind of don't want you to add Hittites because I'm worried something's going to break. <laughs> like it just feels so elegant right now. Uh, sure. Well, there's like a big gap in the map if you look at it. And it's like the, there's like this space that, that there's like really no civilization. We kind of like filled it with different civilization civilizations but uh on the on the like the classic old world map like yeah. the actual mediterranean map um so oh, so, oh right 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 yeah <laughs> so we're like okay well we can add the hittites yep there's a lot of space between greece and assyria basically yeah. so you know sure, it's like, sure. oh, that right, seems like right. an obvious place yeah. for it and um we can't publicly no, talk so about okay are the hittites part of the dlc yeah, they're part of the DLC, but the okay, DLC right. is going to be free for the first two weeks, and it's also free to everyone who already owns the game. Um, free so. everywhere, so it's free on the Epic Game Store, and it's free on Steam, and anywhere uh, uh, Old World is, it's going to be free. Yes. So, for two weeks. Yep. And can you, I mean, because I'm assuming this will be posted when people know, like, what what is the deal with the Hittites? Can you, can you say? Like, how, how do they so, play? Oh, um, there are two ways that we can say that about about the Hittites. First of all, it was very difficult to research because up until a century ago, they were considered a made-up civilization. So we had to like look very, very deep to creating the DLC. And uh, I have some friends of Turkish background who would uh, who helped me kind of go to the uh, to the uh, resources to find material. Mm-hmm. So we're starting the Hittites with uh, King Hattusiri, and he also starts with a authentic, uh, like a very authentic, very colorful beginning in terms of like the stories in comparison to other bios of the leaders because he did not pass the the um, throne to his son who up until uh, before he died, it was he was the, the heir to the throne, not his son. But he passed it to his grandson because he uncovered a plot by his heir and his wife um, like few days before he died. And he got injured and, you know, died eventually. And the throne passed to his grandson, which to us, it's like very old world. Um, we can we can mechanize history uh, with this. Like, you know, the way we did everything else, we mechanized the, the, the bios, the history of other families and turned it into stories and events, etc. So it was a very... Um, a very good history to mechanize with how to ceiling. So it's we're we're excited about about the the Hittite Sorn. You want to handle the mechanics on this one? Sure. Like for the for the Civ itself, um, they had a pretty interesting legal system. Um, it was kind of bordering on like a constitution. So we uh, we didn't really have any civs. That, like you know, Rome gets like a starting bonus of like every city gets extra training. So the Hittites, every city gets extra civics, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to be okay. really strong on that on that front um they're also really good in hilly terrain because of course anatolia is very very hilly so mm-hmm. basically all their units can move through hill, move through hills as if it's flat terrain mm-hmm. and um, then we have which is historically correct also is the three men chariot which is also yep. their elite unit yeah that's their that's their special unit um i don't remember exactly which are the what's the family distribution but it's like a unique you know no other nation has the same mix of, of four families sure, right sure, right um, and they're they were all... big on trade, on diplomacy, and legal system. Yep. Um, and also, the, the probably the biggest one is in terms of just mechanically is um, there seems to be a lot of evidence that they had pretty heavy deforestation of yeah. <laughs> of their their territory. Um, and so we have it so every one of their units can chop trees. 
Oh, um, I like that That's kind of like lot. the biggest one. Yeah. Oh my god, that's I huge. I like it too. Lauren. That's wow. a huge yeah, thing. All those, like, all those <gasps> early woes for lumber. <laughs> I know. Really, that's awesome. That's the yeah. first thing I unlock, like the to create a lumber mill, because I'm always running out of wood, and I have money, I have food, I have right? a, and, a lot of other and resources. What a pain in the still... butt having to tell your guys yeah. to chop down trees, <laughs> yeah, yeah, automate stuff for the lumber mill. Right? You need the worker to do other things, and then you send your worker to <laughs> chop down yeah. somewhere. Yeah, a lot of our, our like we do have like a private Discord where some of our better players are like you know messing around with it. Um, and a lot of them are theorizing about like how this can be used defensively, like, you know, basically chop down trees near sure. the enemy territory. Right. Um, uh, the, yeah. Which, see those ranged units try to hide now. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I think it's an exciting nation to add. So we can't wait to see what, you know, what the reception is going to be like. Yeah. I mean, we have we have long term plans for old world, right? Like we, if if it's popular, which you know, I think I think it looks like it's, things are looking good. Like, hopefully, we can keep working on this game for many many years um, because it's definitely a good, you know, games on ancient history. There's a lot of you know, there's a, a there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of areas that we haven't you know even got to, and a lot of time periods. And you we know. can't even talk about the DLCs that are being created for a later. You know, um, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, and also with Steam, system... you're, you're hooking into that whole mod infrastructure. Like, I, yes. I imagine that'll be a pretty dramatic change as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's, uh, there's, you know, we have like a modding system on Epic, um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of mods out there, but I think it's going to really be, you know, the game changer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets up on Steamworks, I'm really, really excited for that. I mean, I've always been really into mods. I mean, there's still. Um, I was just looking at the Steam charts for Civ 4 the other day, and um, it's super bizarre because the the user base, the the active users for Civ has just Civ 4 has just consistently climbed every year for the last ten years. Um, Whoa! And I don't really, I don't really have an explanation for it. I do. You make games that people continue playing. Well, I guess, but most games eventually go down and I don't know. Uh, you i mean i i know i my theory is it might have something to do with the modding scene um, sorry i'm married to the guy <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's some really good civ 4 mods out there right like the dune wars mod is amazing for yeah. example um and well, uh, you know, I, I was one of those people on the stats because i you know after seeing dune i've you know downloaded the dune wars mod uh yep. and thought yeah yeah so but, but can i tell you what happened after that soren Sure. After seeing Dune and, and really liking it and uh, wanting to sort of relive that in a, in a video game situation, I think a lot of us do that. Like we read or we watch something or uh, we've learned something and then it, it, it sparks a wanting to have some similar familiar experience in a, in a video game. So I saw the movie Dune, download Dune Wars, the mod for Civ 4, play that for a while and realize that's not doing it for me. And mm. what I instead did because of that whole thing with Old World's personal level, what, what I realized was that Dune wasn't a story about factions fighting in a desert. Dune was a story mm -hmm. about a prince who is in over his head when his royal family is slaughtered. And right. I could recapture that much better in Old World than I could right. any other strategy game. That sense of a character dealing with a succession crisis. 
I never yep. experienced yeah. that in civilization. As, as, as prominent as that is in history and in, in drama and science fiction, it's not something that exists for me in a 4X game until Old yep. World came along for me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really really excited to see what what can happen because the the framework that's in place for characters and events is really really strong, and yeah. you can kind of see what the potential is for modding for a game before it begins. It's just a question of whether there's the interest. Like I kind of felt like I knew there was going to be some sort of mod like Fall from Heaven for Civ Four because we had kind of like unlocked this this ability to like give promotions to units and upgrade units. And I was like, all someone needs to do is go in there and kind of add a mana system. And obviously there's a whole lot more to Fall from Heaven, but like I could kind of see that someone could take it and put some RPG stuff on it, right? And it's, it's clearly true that with like Old World, there's all sorts of narrative stuff you could do with the game that we've really just scratched the surface on. So, I you know, I really hope like yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what someone could do with Dune, you know, with Dune or you know, Game of Thrones or with you know a bunch of a bunch of type of, of IP that have you know a lot of a lot of really interesting characters and interesting relationships and you know meaningful events. The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're joking, but yes, absolutely. That, like I can see awesome. it. No, seriously, I can see that like happening. I do wonder, like from that, like I, you know, the game, the, the the story is always at a very low level. It's like a story of a person, but I've always been wondering, like, what's actually going on in yeah, the world in the around, system. you know, Canada and the U.S. and Gilead and all that stuff, like. Who owns what and how does it work? But anyway, yeah. well, yeah. resources aren't that available, so you have to kind of bring that down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I'm starting to think about it. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're prototyping two other projects that we can't talk about. Oh my goodness, uh, those wait, are the be- those are the best kinds for podcasts. <laughs> uh, the the ones you can't talk about. <laughs> so there's teasing. That's good. Uh, okay. Well, then that'll be the next podcast. Have have we? Uh, have we uh, we've wetted enough uh, excitement about? Is this going to come out on the day that uh, that do you release or earlier? Or? Uh, probably, yeah. If I get my act together and get it all yeah. by then, um, so yeah, yeah uh, this has been great. I've really really enjoyed Super. chatting about it with you guys. It was a pleasure getting to talk to yeah. you. Yeah. Now, now I'm mad at you guys because now I feel like I'm playing a compromised version of Old World that's missing one of the factions. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! chick. <laughs> just, just, just two weeks, Tom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you get get start Tom start doing all your reading on Hittites so that you'll know exactly what to do when you get one. <laughs> and then, seriously, Soren, I, I do want to thank you. I just it was. I know I I, I sincerely I, I just know there were days you must have been really put out with me when the game first came out. Uh, I just went through this roller coaster of I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it for like for like two months with the game. Uh, yeah. And I just I appreciated you being there with me for that ride some of the times. So. Yeah. Well, it's 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 good. I mean, I I you know I knew you were taking the game seriously, so you know I appreciate the attention you were giving it, um, and. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, you know, I felt fine because I, I knew I had done the work, you know, like I knew we were doing something significant because we, we've been working on this for a long time. And like, you know, I knew the ramifications of the decisions that we had made. It's just kind of a question of how people, how people process that process them. I do know there's going to be some people that just are just going to bounce off old world because they're just very used to the way other forex games work. Um, But it's been great to see how many people have really connected with it and and have got what we're trying to do. 
in all fairness, yeah. when you give comments and feedback and write all sorts of, uh, of uh, I don't know, like very thorough ideas and uh, you, you've, you've played the game, you know what's missing, you know what's going on, and we're reading through, through them. Like, I'm right there. Like we're reading them together. And we agree sometimes with you. Like these are things we need to address and we discuss them more. You, you drive us to think about things that we weren't prioritizing at that moment or we'll be prioritizing later, but you're just going to bring things to the forefront. And I promise you, like there's no – like. This is the type of feedback we look for. This is the type of engagement we, we want. And, you know, like, if anything, you help us get to places we, we you know, we, we want to get. The, the ones that are hard are the ones really, and I'm, I'm not joking, that many times we watched, a, like, a YouTuber play the game and they're handling the 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 game so carelessly like yeah, not just yeah. because it's our game but they're like saying things like and this is an event system and then you can choose your air <laughs> i yeah. guess i'll choose the second one because and they just make up whatever and they yep. continue yep. and you know people like choose to buy a game or not based on that and it's not like we are we're annoyed that they're giving you know like yeah you know it's an okay game because you know it's just that if you're gonna deal with with if if you have a lot of followers who are listening to you just give less than reckless feedback and this is definitely what what we don't get from you and that's why we care and that's why we are there and thank you for for your feedback thank you well, like very, everyone very who's, listening and who's part of that community thank you yeah excellent well thank you thank you two you three Tom Chick, uh, but Soren and Leila, um, for uh, letting us talk to you about this because we love these kind of games. As you can see, how passionate Tom is about it, and uh, I, I have less experience with the game than Tom does, but uh, I certainly fell in love with uh, all the solutions to problems I didn't know existed that made the, the game <laughs> better. Uh, in ways that I, since I'm not a game designer, I can't figure out how to solve these problems. I can just watch other people do it. So uh, it's really nice. Cool. All right. Well, it was, it was really great being able to talk to both of you. I'm glad we could, I'm glad we could, could do this. Um, and it's 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 great to be able to hear your voice, Tom. I'm glad you're able to participate. Yeah, I actually I'm I'm so glad I did this because I was I I mean I I feel fine right now. I was a little concerned, and I, I'm I'm glad that it turned out that I could sit down and talk to you for a couple of hours because I I've definitely missed this. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That was yeah, um, um, so nice. Mm-hmm.